welcome to the first episode of the podcast In the Company of Stars. My name is BJ Swain and I will be your host. Uh, We will be interviewing different guests each week to talk about various aspects of magic, the occult, and other related topics of interest. Today our guest is magician Sarah Clark and we're going to be talking about the Holy Guardian Angel and the Abramelon. Sarah completed the retreat a few years back and is here today to share her experiences. I hope that you all enjoy our conversation, and I hope that it is informative and helps people find their way to uh, attempting the retreat itself. Okay, well, Sarah, uh, thank you for joining me today. Uh, You are one of the first couple people that uh, I'm interviewing, and uh, I think we will probably run your episode as the first episode uh so have that uh, (laughs) honor and distinction um and i'm very happy to have you here for this uh you've in the past taught some great classes on work with the holy guardian angel and uh on the abermelon experience and i think that's such an important thing that uh it's a really good way to kick off the show um so one of the things that i am going to try to do with the show um i really like how uh, Gordon over at Rune Soup has uh, a question that he always starts off with his guests. It's a good way to get to know the guests and to sort of springboard conversation. Uh, and while some of the guests we'll have will be people that a lot of listeners might be fairly familiar with, some will be people that they don't have familiarity with. Uh, I also think that origin stories can be kind of cool, and there's a lot of things that can be teased out of that sometimes. Um, and so he has the best origin story question, uh, but I have come up with my own approach. And uh, so I've got sort of three related questions uh, that kind of talk, uh, that sort of ask about how you got to where you are. Uh, so I want to start with those. So I figure most people have some sort of experience that occurs at some point in their life where they experience something unexplainable or something they don't quite understand or something that tells them that there's more out there than the, the stuff that we see every day. And, and I don't just mean most people that end up in magic. I figure that's something that happens to, to just about everybody. Um, although recently I had a, a friend say that his only moment like that was because of some magic that I did. Uh, so, so maybe people aren't always as as perceptible or aware of it, uh, but I figure people who become magicians probably uh, notice those moments at some point in their life and that that's part of what drives us. Uh, was there some moment that occurred for you that really helped you realize that there was something to magic or that there was something to all this spirituality stuff, that there was more out there than just the stuff we see every day? Uh, yeah, I guess there was sort of. Um, it wasn't too unexpected, though, because um, my family have always been talking. They've always talked about ghosts, the other side, magic, witches. I grew up with all those stories, even though we didn't or I didn't have any experiences. You know, I had their stories. Um, so when I first started learning about magic, it didn't seem too weird to me. Um, I did start trying to experiment with astral travel when I was a teenager. And that was probably the big 
like, oh my gosh, this is really, really real uh, moment was the first time I got out of my body. Um, because there's, I don't really think there's anything that compares to that feeling. Um, and it was just uh, super intense. And I've been kind of trying to master that uh, my whole life. It's a, it's just a little, a little scary, um, and exciting at the same time. Um, but yeah, just, just being able to get out of my body for the first time was when I was like, had that first aha moment, like, wow, this is, this is super real. And then I never really had any experience, experience with the, the dead or the other side until, um, I was probably 20-ish. I had just gotten married and I was living with uh, my ex-husband and I remember waking up and looking at him and thinking about how it was a shame that my father had died when I was 12 because he never got to meet my husband. He didn't get to walk me down the aisle. And then all of a sudden, um, as I was looking at him, I my head just kind of fell back like it was pushed back and I saw in my mind all these symbols flashing before my eyes um it happened really fast and in such such quick succession that I, I I can't really explain what they were but um then all of a sudden I heard my father's voice and he just said hi sweetheart and then I realized it was him and then it was just gone and I was released and yeah. So that's when I started uh, trying to get more in touch with the dead and things like that. But yeah, those were probably the biggest, biggest moments. So growing up in an environment where there were stories about ghosts and, and witches and, and the paranormal, uh, was it something that people were like actively involved with? Was it something that you tried to experiment with or, or mess around with? Or were there things that you were shown as a child along those lines? No, it was just something that was always like kind of in the background, like, oh, yeah, so-and-so's a witch. And um, it, it was never anything that was actually practiced in my household. Well, other than like, oh, we're Catholic, so we pray to Mary. Uh, not that I'm trying to relate Catholicism to witchcraft or anything, but it, um, well, you know, it kind of has similar, a similar feel sometimes. Yeah, Maybe that's just me. <laughs> take that approach. Yeah. And uh, so with the the astral projection um was that you said that's something you've been trying to master your whole life was that something that was part of a focus on work you were doing at the time when you were a teenager or were you doing other magical work at that point too uh at that time as a teenager i was trying to find well everyone at that time was really into wicca and i just couldn't find my place there. I don't know if it was, um, you know, recently there have been a lot of articles about, oh, the maiden mother and crone thing is problematic. And I understand that as, you know, I couldn't get into that as a young 
teenager, even back then I knew I never wanted to be a mother. And so it never resonated with me. And all of the goddesses and gods, like I've tried to pray to pretty much all of them and do stuff to honor all of them. And I'm, I get nothing. And so that was uh, most of my focus back then because I was just trying to find some deity that liked me, I guess, <laughs> that I could relate to and maybe have a relationship with. And I just got nothing. So that was, um, uh, that was most of my practice trying to, to be a Wiccan like everybody else. And I just couldn't do it. And so when, um, a friend of mine had recommended this book about astral travel to me and that was, uh, that was pretty life-changing as far as uh, figuring out that there was actually something out there, but it, it it's, that kind of stuff is a little scary and it's still scary to me. Yeah. And I feel like I'm kind of an expert, you know, on a lot of things these days, spiritual wise, but, uh, um, traveling outside of your body is still pretty scary. I have been trying to do it recently again, even though I took a long hiatus. I think I told you about my, my scary experience a while back. Um, I'm not sure. Um, Oh, it's just, have you ever done it yourself? I don't know. Yeah, when I was a a teenager, I was pretty into a lot of, uh, I guess lately I call it journeying work, Uh, but back then Mm. we called it shamanism, but that is problematic also. And uh, so I did a lot of of work with with out-of-body journeying uh, back then, but also same sort of thing it's not it's a really cool experience it's really visceral and powerful and and there's a lot of of stuff you can can learn from it and a lot of power in that work but it can be pretty intense and so it's something that i pulled back from as a young adult hmm okay so yeah well, we don't have to go there. I don't, <laughs> I'd rather talk about something positive. I don't want to <laughs> discourage people from doing anything. So um, when you had the experience uh, with your, your father's spirit, um, mm-hmm. did that lead to other spirit work at the time or other work with the dead? Or was that just sort of like the first moment where you kind of encountered that that was out there? Um, it didn't really lead to other work with the dead only because... I've just never really been called to that. I don't know why. I mean, I know that you yourself are like way into the ancestral stuff and I try to get into that. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just not my thing. It, it just led me to um, realize that I had, I had to push uh, harder to, um, to get any the knowledge that I was looking for, even though I I had no no patron god or or goddess like I really wanted. <laughs> so um, the 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 question I would normally ask them would be how this relates to the work that you do now, but um, it sounds like you're you're kind of getting back into some of the the out of body work, but that 
neither the out-of-body work nor work with the dead became the the stuff that led you to where you are now uh once you kind of had those experiences and knew there was something out there what was it that first really let you that you were able to grab onto and really have something as a practice or something to explore i guess that would be the abermelon um that was that was probably the uh oh that was the biggest turning point in um my uh spiritual life and that was about that was only about four years ago um well, I guess that, that's going to be the bulk of what we talk about today. Uh, so, yeah, well, good. <laughs> so now, before you, uh, yeah, before you did the Abermelon, because uh, I think I, I knew you for a couple years before that. Um, the was there? I know you were coming around to the OTO and trying to work through some of the Lemic stuff. Um, were you into like? Uh, doing chaos magic or were you mostly doing the Thelemic magic or doing like witchcraft stuff? Was there other practice oriented things that you did or was it mostly just kind of going through exploring what was there? It was mostly self-improvement sort of magic and I guess that's still kind of where I am. Um, uh, it's just uh, the psychology of magic and I know a lot of people don't like to mix the two but um but it it's been helpful for me i just since i never you know latched onto a deity like i always wanted to um but the drive has always been to uh, develop my meditation skills and things like that and i i guess you would call it a sorcery mm -hmm. personal sort of energy sort of magic and things like that and um even though i've never been like particularly good at that you know i've been okay um but as far as uh, uh things like meditation and just uh going beyond yourself again with the the astral travel kind of stuff that was mostly what i was into beforehand um, and it was actually my ex-husband, who you also knew, who wanted to join the OTO. <laughs> and I was the one who was like, I've read some Crowley. He's a, you know, crazy person. Let's not do this. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but he insisted and I, I went with him only because I wanted to show him how it was a bunch of crap. But it was actually your talk. That was a uh, much more uh, sane <laughs> than a lot of the stuff that I had been reading um, that made me want to join. And that and seeing the actual Gnostic Mass being performed. Um, so th the religious aspect of magic has always been a huge draw for me. And so that was um, wanting to be a part of the Gnostic Mass uh, was definitely a huge, huge thing. In my life. Okay. Well, I think uh, this is a, a really good start because I think a lot of people listening probably have gone through a lot of the same things you've you've kind of mentioned here with having trouble uh, finding 
uh, a deity to latch on to, having trouble finding a system that works well for them, and sometimes probably feel like it's just not going to be something that they're they're able to do or something that's just not going to work for them. And um, even uh, I think I can't remember if it was Crowley or Regardi that that uh, tells a story about trying to do a conjuration and going through the motions and just not really getting how to make it work. And so, but having known you for years now, uh, I know that the Abermelon was a huge game changer for you and you are now a very successful, very competent and capable magician. And so I think for a lot of people getting to hear your story of working with that and hear what your experience has been like is going to be really helpful because they're going to see that even if they're not finding something right away, if they stick with it the way you did, then they'll find something that's that's mm -hmm. right for them, and or possibly realize that, that working with their angel uh, is a good path towards like making things click and and getting things where they're supposed to be. So I guess uh, let's dive in with the Abermelon. So uh, what was it that got you? to want to explore the Abermelon to begin with? Well, I guess it was, uh, first of all, reading uh, Liberaz. <laughs> it's right in there. Or um, not Liberaz, Liberal. <laughs> um, I didn't know what that word meant. And it, I asked um, someone else who I was living with at the time, and we talked about it. And I thought that the Aramelon, the way you put it to me, was just something that people in the OTO did. And I started asking around about it. And um, it turns out that a lot of people actually didn't do it. So I was very curious as to why this was put to me as a very crucial, you know, step. And nobody did it. And so that's when I, I kind of, started thinking, you know, I need to do this. I don't know why nobody else is doing it, but I just had this this drive to to get it done, but it was it was really daunting sounding the first time I read the book and it was um it was not the den version or what is that the Mathers version? Yep, the the French yeah, the, the French one it was um and that that makes it that made it a little more complicated sounding but I still like knew that I wanted to do it and so yeah I just I said I was going to do it when I was 40 I'm not 40 yet <laughs> so I kind of got pushed into it but I was going to prepare for years to do it and um I found out that you don't really need years of preparation and so I ended up um, praying to my angel to help me when I was 40. I'm 38 now. And uh, at this time, I think I was, what, like 34? So now I was talking to you. It must have been like four years ago, five years ago. Something like that. But, um, yeah, I, I just prayed to my angel almost every night just to be like, hey, I'm thinking about you I want to connect with you um just letting you know when I'm 40 we're going to do this thing 
was like, nope, we're going to do it right now. <laughs> and um, yeah, I got a message kind of loud and clear. Uh, you've started, so can't can't stop now. And yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you want to tell want me to tell that whole story. Oh yeah, no, like uh, I think <laughs> much information about the experience as people can have the more comfortable they'll be looking into it yeah yeah um i got the message loud and clear um that i needed to begin or that i had begun and that's when i uh reached out to to you because i was like i don't know what i'm doing at all i was gonna you know get an apartment with the exact specifications the book says you know with the window and the thing on the side of the drawer or whatever it was and the windows and the exact specifications that they're, that they're supposed to be and um all of a sudden i'm being told now that i live in this one room apartment this studio that i've begun the avermillion and i have no idea what i'm doing um and then my angel was very good with uh as far as direction as far as what i'm supposed to do um that's probably the one thing that i would like to <laughs> impress upon people because when i start talking about this they're like yeah but i don't have this that and the other that it says in the book but you should probably remember that um the book was you know written by a dude i mean he was a dude with his hga but still just a guy and that was his experience and you know the the purists don't like that you know the Avermillion purists but I went through it just fine with on the instruction of my HGA and it wasn't easy but it wasn't exactly as it happened in the book so that's um definitely what I want to impress upon people is that um there the the concerns is always i i don't have enough this or i can't find this but um and it's weird because i don't want to say you can just make up your own ritual and do whatever you want i don't want to say that because i don't know how i don't know how far you could deviate from what's written in the book and to have it, you know, not work. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, the the book, the one of the first things it really says that's a practical element of instruction about doing the ritual is to talk to your angel because your angel will teach you how to do it. Like the yeah. the German version is pretty vague about stuff, and it mm -hmm. directs you back to your angel and. So I think that's that's really great that that's kind of the experience you had was your angel walking you through what to do and explaining to you how to personalize it uh, as opposed to just it being a rope. Try to do some kind of reconstruction play acting cosplay type thing. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> which I think a lot of times people do that and then they just kind of like decide it happened and then get pompous about it. But if you're really working with your angel, like who better than your angel to tell you how to do it, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it wasn't exactly as it was spelled out in the book, but um, the the funny thing was is that uh, in the third phase, uh, I did get told by my landlady that I had to move, <laughs> and I was like, oh shit! <laughs> well, I've just you know spent you know how many months doing this thing here with my altar, and now I have to move it. Um, but then I did find an apartment the very next day, and when I went to look at it, it was the exact specifications <laughs> that Abraham in the book and that made me laugh and I'm sure it my my new landlord thought I was a little crazy because I laughed when I saw the bedroom um and I told him I'd take it <laughs> so things kind of work out sometimes <laughs> your HGA has you and and really I mean the way it's set up in the book it's 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 that final phase where you need to be cloistered in that that space anyway so it's yeah. it's not necessarily the whole thing yeah, yeah. Um, I probably, like you said, had cloistered myself a little more than was necessary because I was nervous about failing because I had spent all this time thinking about how I was going to prepare for it and all of a sudden was thrust into it and I was very, very nervous about failing and so I tried to do everything by the book and especially be alone. Um, but I did slip up with alcohol a few times. Um, I think one of the times, or maybe two of the times was with you. <laughs> but um, That's funny because it, it, the alcohol had just lost its uh, appeal. It's a, it was just more of a, a sort of a habit and I took a few sips and I was like, oh, I don't even want this anymore. I think I remember you describing that at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I think I had um, come from jujitsu or something and I was like, I need a beer. And I took a few sips. I was like, oh, this is just awful. <laughs> I want to go home and pray now. <laughs> that would have that would have been during one of the two preparatory phases, because by the time you were in the third yeah. phase, you were not going out at all oh definitely yeah yeah so then so your angel kind of guided you through what to do and how to make the process work for you personally so what did your process end up looking like you mean at the end or sort of uh walk us through like, how did you have your temple set up? How much time did you uh, allot for your preparation? How much time did you allot for your final portion of it? And then what were the major things that you did that you felt were important? Well, I guess near the end, it was just the praying three times a day. And um, it, that, is something that sometimes people are like, oh my God, I don't want to get up at sunrise. I, I don't want to do it. It's just too much. But um, it becomes pretty welcome in your life. So I would definitely not, you know, tell people not to shy away from that. Uh, it, it's kind of nice to get up with the sun and confess your sins. <laughs> Feel a lot better after. 
but um, that was uh, the prayer three times a day, and near the end it was a lot of reading and exercise kind of just what i'm doing now with the <laughs> the covid situation <laughs> a lot of reading and a lot of exercise and a lot of praying and um i know that sounds vague but again that that's something that i would want to direct people to their hga to tell them what to do because it, it's i know it's not particularly spelled out in the book, but I'm starting to think there there might be a reason for that because maybe it, it looks different for people. Mm-hmm. You know, um because I don't want I don't want to I don't want people to look at what I did and have them be like, that's what I need to do. Because I have a feeling I I've done that too much in my life with looking at people when I, I really should have been looking within um at my angel and his instruction so i don't know (laughs) i don't know if you wanted me to talk more specific let's get i guess um did you did you do the six month or did you do the 18 month oh well that i don't even know because like i said i i kind of got pushed into it Mm -hmm. and um so I don't, since I keep records of things that I'm doing magically, it's, I didn't keep a record of when I actually started praying to my HGA. So I don't, I don't actually know because I wasn't planning on making this a thing. Mm-hmm. And then it was all of a sudden, you know, I started to pray every night and say, I'm going to start this when I'm 40. It's a good, you know, good Jewish number that one <laughs> and um I then I just stopped I stopped praying and I don't know how long it was that I didn't pray but that's when he was like uh hey I'm here and by the way you can't stop now you've started so I I almost did sort of a four-part sort of Abermelon operation which is you know not what you're supposed to do it's supposed to be three distinct parts um so i had that weird uh pre sort of part and then i said i said to my angel i was like i i i don't know when i started so when do i stop and he told me to stop on um october 31st which is halloween uh, i i didn't know why that doesn't have a particular significance for me um, the only significance I could think of was, to me, October 31st is the end of fall. I know it's not, but it, as a child growing up, you know, if if I'm going into my psychology, that to me was, just, um, November 1st to me was the beginning of winter, even though I know it's, I know it's not, like, technically, but November 1st was the beginning of the cold season, so that's, the only reason why I thought maybe that's why I should be ending there. I don't know. Um, I know that you had told me once that there, it was, uh, you know, more about Jewish holidays than I do. And I think you told me that year it was, uh, uh, there was some sort of Jewish significance. Um, I might have to find that conversation. Um, 
I don't remember exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of uh, Jewish holidays around September and, and October. So, uh, and one of the ones that normally would be where you kind of look to to end the Abermelon uh, overlaps with October. So uh, it could have been that it was falling particularly late that year. Uh, yeah, so I, I remember I started in May to be the first part, two months. And then you, so it was May, June, July, August, September, October. Um, but before that, before May, I don't exactly know what that was or how long that was. So I tried to model my uh, sort of planned version of the Abermelon by the sixth month. Um, I think that I think that might be easier for the current, you know, climate of just, you know, our we're constantly connected. And I think it might be you know, I, I don't think we need that 18 month, again, my opinion, I don't think we need that whole 18 month sort of version of it. Um, I think it might be a little easier for us to, uh, to disconnect um, and get into the, the right headspace since we're constantly connected anyway. Well, I think even in the, uh, the 18 month version, it's really only that last six months where you are as fully disconnected as you were. So um, mm. the, in the, the six month version, it would just be the last two months where you're at that level of disconnect. So I think you kind of took several months to prepare. So you were pretty close to the way the 18 month lays itself out in the book, mm. uh, I recall. Yeah, and um, it is really, you're all really just preparing for that last week. Um, so it's not like, I wouldn't say it's like this huge long six month or 18 month ritual. It, it's more like a, the purification process. If you think of it like that, it, it's a little easier. I hear people talk about how it's, oh, the ritual is too long. It's like a year or six months. It's not really. It's like six, seven days, but you just want to make sure you're prepared. I think that's an easier way of looking at it. I think that does kind of clarify it a bit. Now, um, the book doesn't really go into how to pray or what to do during that time. Um, so how did you go about picking what sorts of prayers to use? Oh, that was all just... Um, well, I'm not going to say all, but when I first started, I had no idea what to say. But I remember my first prayer, my first formal prayer in front of the altar. And uh, I just confessed my sins, as, as I think Abraham says in the book, you know, confess your sins and pray to your angel. And like, I was almost instantly in tears. Um, and again, this is not something I want to. I don't, I don't want to tell people how to pray, <laughs> but it, um, it came very naturally. Um, but later, after, you know, I got sort of in the groove and comfortable, I personally uh, went to the Bible, the Old Testament, 
of the Bible. And that was because um, he does say in the, the book to go back to the religion of your birth. And I had gone away from Christianity because it, it just didn't resonate with me. Just the same as, you know, when I tried Wicca and it, it didn't resonate with me either. Um, it just seemed very dead. But I was like, okay, I don't want to fail <laughs> in this operation. So I've got to go back to the religion of my birth. So I started looking into the Old Testament, the New Testament too. But as far as uh, good prayers, I definitely found that in um, uh, the Psalms and Proverbs. That's a. That's a really good, really unique answer. Like, I mean, I know personally I used um, the the headless invocation, like the Stele of, of Jew and a bunch of other prayers. Um, the prayer of St. Francis was a big one for me. And then there were some other Thelemic prayers and then some elemental and planetary prayers that I wrote myself. Um, I feel like a lot of people use some version of the headless invocation uh, just because of the influence of the Golden Dawn and of Crowley, um, there's not a lot of people that have I've talked to who've said that they've gone back to Psalms and Proverbs, uh, but that's probably a really good way of, of approaching it. Um, so, all right, I guess uh, the the exciting part, um, I don't want to ask you too much about the the moment because that's that's personal uh the like when it all comes together uh but after that conjuring the demons yeah that's surprisingly what everyone wants to know about to me that seems like such a it's almost like a byproduct yeah <laughs> but everyone wants to know about the demon I feel like uh, if if I asked you what the moment of your angel showing up was like, that that's kind of like asking you about like your wedding night, <laughs> about your honeymoon, and the the latter is probably the more appropriate question. Um, we can be oh, appropriate. You, then I'm sure people would love to hear about that, but uh, didn't want to pry on that. Um, well, it was, uh, I don't, from what I've heard, you know, you have done a little describing of yours to mm -hmm. me, but um, mine seemed to be a little different. Again, this is why I don't want, I don't want anyone to, you know, have expectations since it seems like everyone is having a, a bit of a different experience. But mine was um, incredibly even, is what I describe it as, as far as when I finally, you know, achieved the marriage. It was after three days of intense praying and, and meditation, it was very extremely even. I just felt like, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Let's go to the demons. I figure the, the easiest thing to say on it is it's one of those things that is so unquestionably real. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> so like anytime when someone kind of 
has a description where it's like, well, I don't know if I've done it or not. And it's like, well, then you haven't. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like walking up and having somebody poke you. You know you've been poked. <laughs> yeah. So demons, since people like demons. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know why. <laughs> I think one thing kind of curious about that is the the book also. I have a way that I interpret what the book is saying as far as how to go about calling the demons. And from what I understand, your interpretation was pretty different. Um, and I think that's that's kind of interesting because the. I don't think I've read the French one since I was like in high school or maybe college. Um, I started reading it about a year ago when I was looking to write some stuff about like what the actual process was. So I don't know if the French one goes into more detail on a process for summoning demons, but the German one, it's sort of like you call them and then you call the next set and then you call the next set. And it, it doesn't really tell you how. It's not like uh, the Ars Goetia or like, the Gumarum Verum or any of those where it's like draw this symbol and do this purification and kill this goat and draw these symbols on the goat skin. Uh, it doesn't have any of that. Like, in fact, it says that all that is evil and you should never do those things. So, um, so I did almost nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how the book describes it. It's yes. Exactly. they just show up yeah. Like, well they, so. yeah they did um that was a a big anxiety during most of the process you know when I was praying I was like well what about the demons I don't know how to call demons I've never called a demon what do I do what do I do what do I do HGA continually was like don't worry about it you'll figure it out you know well he, it wasn't even like you'll figure it out it was like you'll be fine it'll happen and when it got closer, he was like, well, you've read, like, Blesser Key and things like that. You know what to say. I'm like, okay. So I went back and looked. I was like, okay, I, I there's, you know, words to say, but, there, you know, I'm not supposed to draw a circle. What am I supposed to do here? So I went to the book, and it was, it was the, the, the dirt from the river mm -hmm. and things like that. So that's what I did got that out but um and but after three days of prayer and meditation and then on the third day marrying your hga when you wake up in the morning to conjure demon you're kind of invincible so i wouldn't even like say to even be worried about that <laughs> there was there was no anxiety about it i had my dirt i had my thing my wand and my ring and I was ready and I I had already written down the words uh I believe it was from the the lesser key is that where it's from yeah I'm pretty sure <laughs> I'd have to look at my notes but yeah they, it, I feel like I could have said anything though uh, as long as I said their names mm -hmm. and I called uh you start with the king and they came immediately, immediately. Um, it's not like now where <laughs> if I want to call one, it does take a few minutes. Um, but they, they absolutely came immediately. And um, they were actually, maybe this sounds crazy, but they were actually visible 
like by with my eyes in the sand. I even um, tried to blink my eyes and rub them and look away and look back. <laughs> so, like, it's a little weird. Um, and but and yeah, they weren't scary. You know, some of them did try to be, but they mostly were like, "I know the drill. Let me just you know." give you my word and then I can go, you know? Um, but yeah, after you're, you've been married to your HGA, they kind of just do what they're supposed to do, what you tell them to do. Hmm. Um, yeah, I would just, if, if anyone's, you know, nervous about that, you know, I was the same way. I had never, never, ever, ever conjured a demon. And they always, you know, from the books, it always seems like a huge ordeal. But after you've, you know, just been with your HGA, it, it's absolutely nothing. And it, it was actually, uh, I know it's three days that you do that, but it's in the morning and it goes by really, really fast. Um, so it, it's actually a pretty easy part <laughs> of the whole experience. So I think that's that's really useful for people to hear because everyone always talks about it's like okay you do the ritual and then what and my my answer has always been then it tells you you conjure some demons like and you bind them and then you have squares and then they do stuff but people are kind of like well well what is it that that's next and I think I think people get that that's like the final part of it uh, but it just seems like a lot of people are kind of like, why is that how you cap this off? And like, what are you really supposed to do? And it doesn't say. And so just kind of knowing that it's as simple as that, but also still as real and, and impactful is going to be really helpful for, for people who are looking to explore this. Um, but then as far as the, the what next, like what has, uh, what has your magic been like with working with the demons and working with your angel uh, since you completed the ritual? I'm smiling because <laughs> that's a hell of a question. <laughs> I mean, so much has happened since then. Um, demons are are pretty. They're pretty good to have. Uh, you get the familiars. Again, um, I know you were just laughing at me because I said I haven't spoken to a demon in a year, but I I still talk to my familiar. <laughs> I don't see them as demons. Um, you do get familiars, four of them. Um, again, I don't want to speak for everybody. I don't know if that's true for everybody. But yeah, you do get four familiar spirits, and they're really, really helpful. Um, as far as the other demons, um, it's it's really easy uh, uh someone on your page i think when you had that ama for me had asked me how how do you get demons to do what you want mm -hmm. once you've got your hga by your side it, it i've never had an issue with a demon you know it's just that you know when people hear that they're sometimes like oh so i can like send a demon to kill my enemy we're like oh i mean you risk uh, losing God's grace if you want to do that. Um, you always need to talk to your HGA as far as, you know, doing your will and everything, you know. 
um, but they're incredibly easy to control. I remember I had uh, one had woken me up. It was an unfamiliar demon. I don't know who it was, but it woke me up in the middle of the night once uh, shortly after everything was said and done with the ritual. And I remember rolling over and very half-heartedly saying, in the name of God, go away. You know, I don't like to be disturbed when I'm asleep or trying to sleep. And it did not go away. And so I rolled over again and I said, oh my gosh, in the name of God, just get out of here. And I rolled over and it was still there and it was like trying to creep up on me. And I rolled over and I just said, don't make me call your king. And it vanished. <laughs> it went very fast. <laughs> because um, once you've got uh, the kings bound to you, uh, stuff isn't really an issue. So, um, do you have any good anecdotes that we could talk about as far as uh, kind of what process is like for calling them for use later or, or some things that you've done with them? Mm, as far as things that I've done with them, I don't know, that's a little personal. Okay. <laughs> um processes it's this is something that i think jason miller goes into a bit with meditation i think that meditation is important like he does mm -hmm. um, he says it's probably the most important thing a, ma a magician can do i would agree because um if you can quiet your mind and focus you can pretty easily talk to spirits, including uh, the demons that, you know, might nece not necessarily want to be spoken to. Um, but the process is, is very much like meditating and you don't necessarily need all the the pomp and the circles and you know whatever the salt and all the calls if you've got your hga to protect you um the the only problem i've had with uh constantly summoning demons is their company does affect you um that would be the only like, like i have i just moved to texas a year ago since I've been here, I've not summoned a demon because I'm in a stressful time and I don't need their energy <laughs> messing anything up. And um, yeah, it's just, I know that might sound sort of, I don't know how to put it. They're very useful. I don't want to say that they're not. Um, but what you're trying to do is influence them, not the other way around. That makes sense. And I, yeah, again, that could be something maybe that I'm supposed to do personally. I don't want to, again, I don't want to influence people. Because some people might not even be, you know, called to work with the demons. I, that's not something that you do. Yeah, I do it fairly 
infrequently um, and downplay it whenever I do it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I do think you hit on a really good thing there about like not needing all of the the stuff. Like you get a lot of magicians uh, and, and mostly ones who haven't done the Evermelon who are very much like, oh, you have to follow these books to the letter and you have to have exactly these things that are in the books. And I mean, that's, we know historically that that wasn't how magic worked. And like uh, the Evermelon talks at length about not doing that and how mm -hmm. you don't want those things. And it even has in there that after you've gotten your angel, you're only allowed to use certain names of God and you're only allowed to do things in certain ways. And so to me, in my experience, a lot of it is is very much like in the Testament of Solomon, where uh, St. Michael comes and gives Solomon the ring. And so Solomon's bestowed with the divine presence through the ring and through the presence of Michael. And so he's able to use that to call uh, uh, Orneas uh, to him. And so then from talking to Orneas, he's able to then have him bring him the next spirit and then he brings the next spirit and the next spirit and so forth. And it's a lot like the way that it's described in the Evermelon with you call the kings and then you call the next group of spirits and you call the next group of spirits. And because you have the, the setup where you have the, the top-down hierarchy, uh, you're able to call the, the next group of spirits and they're supposed to listen to you. But then they also give you that explanation of like, well, if you know the angel that, that is in charge of that demon, then you can call that demon's angel and keep the demon in line that way. And I feel like the HGA is sort of like, it's kind of like uh, the uh, Sarampin, the, the prince of the presence, or the prince of the face. And so it's, which is the role that Michael held sometimes, the role that Metatron held sometimes, uh, and Anafiel held it. Um, and it's sort of like the, the angel that is the presence of God in front of the mystic. And, so that angel can go forth and can command any of the spirits. And so um, for me, I will, I remember the first time I tried to use a square, I just took the square out, like touched my head, thought about what I wanted to do, laid the square out and nothing happened. And I was like, well, this is stupid. Like why, why didn't this work? And then like, I talked to my angel, my angel's like, well, you gotta actually like do it. You've got to actually like work with the spirits. And so, um, I was like, okay, Angel, I want you to go get me the demon that handles this square and bring that demon to me so I can tell what I want. And then, so I held up the square. My angel brings the demon. I'm like, okay, I want this. The demon's like, okay, lay the square out here. And it's like, okay. And then it happened. And so I think it's a lot of people want some simpler way to work with spirits. And that's where you get like the people who get all into demonolatry where they're like, well, you don't need the circles and the protections in the name of God, like just worship the demons and then they'll, they'll do things for you. But it's like, yeah, that's, there's reasons why we do it the way we do it. <laughs> I wouldn't want to worship a demon. Oh. 
but you know. <laughs> like, uh, it's like, have you stood in the presence of these guys? It's weird. <laughs> and so I think a lot of people kind of find that it's like the what you get going that approach in the long run doesn't end up being the same as what you get if you go one of the traditional approaches. Um, but people still are like, they feel weird about going like the, um, the whole stem and drong, like fire and brimstone, everything is gonna collapse down on and you're gonna destroy the demon's world if it doesn't do exactly what you want. And it's like, okay, well then there's the Abermelon. The, yeah. the traditional route for that where you can have like a more working relationship that is is not like you're about to condemn them to the fires of hell like they're they're set up to work with you at that point so like uh i think that's that's a good takeaway for people yeah i had um uh some woman years ago asked me well how do i work with demons and i was like well I mean to start off just have a good relationship with god i don't know how else to explain it and she just you know kind of scoffed at that and i was like well i mean that's your best that's your best route that's your best protection i don't know what else to say <laughs> if you you know if you if you've got that you know spiritual street cred you'll be fine <laughs> So, in terms of other magic, I think one of the things that's been interesting with the uh, the German version of the Abermelon, particularly as it's been expanded and they they translated more of it, uh, it has uh, the the mixed Kabbalah. So the basically the the sorcery uh, stuff, uh, like all the spells and everything, in addition to the squares. Um, so it definitely kind of implies that there's room to work with the angel and maybe work with the demons or the, the good spirits that it mentions um, in ways outside of just using the squares. Um, now, I, I know you have a tendency to downplay yourself, um, but I think you are a really good example of how uh, the Abermelon can really impact people because, as you, you said, you kind of were starting out looking to prepare to do the work years in the future and kind of just going through exploring stuff and then you did this and now you're this fairly capable magician and i personally tend to keep a very uh small circle of of magicians that i'm very close with and you are definitely one of the people that i would turn to to talk to about magic stuff because you are are definitely one of the very competent magicians that i know now uh, and I think the Abermelon definitely helped you with uh, kind of leveling up there. Um, have you found that doing other magical work, aside from just working with the demons or uh, just calling your angel, has been impacted by that experience? Or do you pretty much, is the, the Abermelon kind of the main thing that you do at this point? No, it's pretty much the main thing I have tried again to branch out and I still have not ever found a deity <laughs> that I'm kosher with so to speak <laughs> nobody kind of seems to like me or want to claim me um, I think I told you about my experience with Juno 
um, trying to set my apartment on fire. Um, yeah, I, I, I just kind of talk to my angel these days and I, I've tried to branch out and even the astral travel hasn't been, uh, very impacted. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's, um, eh, that's kind of a personal problem. I get really excited once I leave my body <laughs> because it's exciting mm -hmm. <laughs> to be able to fly around. And so I don't last long because I get excited and, and gasp and I'm back in my body. But other than that, um, the only thing that I, I'm really kind of good at is summoning demons and getting them to do what I want them to do. And that is all thanks to the Abermelon and my HGA. Oh, that's a pretty useful wheelhouse. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, I haven't summoned one in, and it's been a year now because I moved here, you know, last March. And um, it, their their presence is very heavy, and especially now with the quarantining and all that, I even though I'd I'd love to have someone new to talk to, <laughs> I'm not gonna summon a demon just because I I don't need that heavy presence. <laughs> but yeah if, if you if you definitely want to um you know have a better you know command of the demons i would definitely recommend the abermelon oh that sounds wrong though <laughs> sounds like a terrible thing to say because i'm sure you know you, you you'll have a better relationship with the angels as well that's just not my calling <laughs> Well, I mean, I think it's definitely a reason to to do it, and I think the even aside from that, even if it's not a relationship with the broader choirs of angels, uh, having the relationship with your specific angel uh, is definitely helpful. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, as far as having a direction in life, if 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 that's an issue, <laughs> um, I can always have my HGA to tell me exactly what I need to hear, even though it's something that might not be, you know, what I want to hear. It's always something I need to hear. I think we were just talking about that. Yep, and I think we're actually about to the questions where that'll come up. So, um, so you mentioned earlier that one of your big drives uh, in getting deeper into magic was to be able to participate in the Gnostic Mass. Uh, the, the Gnostic Mass really inspired you the first time you saw it. And so you did eventually work as a novice priestess in the EGC and became a member of the OTO. Um, how do you feel that your work with the Abermelon impacted uh, your work as a, a priestess and your, your participation as an OTO member? Well, I mean, it kind of drew me away from the OTO and the EGC and not because of anything that they did because the OTO kind of drew me to the Abermelon, you know, reading, you know, Lee Brown and, and everything. But um, I, I was told to pull back and do my own thing. So I did. And I, I definitely, you know, I occasionally came back to William Blake to, to Priestess. But um, it wasn't my focus anymore it, it 
it's a wonderful ritual and I, you know, have nothing but good things to say about it, but you know, the HG had, had different things for me to do. So after that, I just pulled back from the OTO and the EGC in general and I still miss it, but yeah, I, I definitely am called to do other things these days. Okay. Um, so with uh, the OTO environment and Libral having helped you find the Abermelon, uh, knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel and uh, the, the angel itself, uh, the Abermelon, those are all sort of big icon things in the Thelemic community and in the OTO, the, uh, the Golden Dawn initiates and the early AA and, and OTO people all thought of the Abermelon as this super powerful, super secret book and this incredibly difficult thing that no one could do. Um, and, but it's, it's often thought of as a fairly central element of Thelema and of our initiation process uh, through the AA and, and the OTO. Uh, did you find uh, that the OTO helps people understand it, helps people do it? Um, did you feel that there were a lot of people who were exploring work with their Holy Guardian Angel or who had a really solid understanding of the angel or of the, uh, the Abermelon system? Um, I'm not sure I would say that. It was a lot of theory since, like I said before, like a lot of people didn't, hadn't actually done the ritual, which surprised me since it, it was touted as such a, a, a central thing. Um, I think you were the only one I knew who had said you had done it. And um, you helped me a lot <laughs> during those first uncertain couple months, but most people had had a lot of theories. Mm -hmm. And um, when I asked them about, you know, why they didn't do it, it, it was, you know, there were a lot of different reasons and they're the reasons that I still hear. And it makes me a little sad because, um, you know, it, it's nothing to do with the OTO. It, it's just pretty much all magicians who are kind of sort of interested in the ritual, but they, they're like, well, I have a family. I can't do it. Or I have a job. I can't do it. I don't have the right space. I can't do it. That was my reason. Um, but as far as uh, what the angel is, um, yeah, that's not uh, something. It, it, I've heard it spoken of a lot. But again, it's all going to be theory. So I'd rather not. Um, delve into that too much because I don't want to plant anything in anyone's brain as far as, you know, expectations. Okay, that's fair. And so the, uh, if you could go back and talk to yourself when you started, uh, would you encourage yourself to do it? And is there a message that you would have for yourself? Oh, yeah, it would be to not to do it 
just go ahead and do it and not listen to anybody else. <laughs> not listen to any books or any people, you know, doing their lectures. You don't have to listen to anyone else except your angel. And as far as figuring out, you know, when your angel's speaking to you and when he or she is not, that is uh, something that you've got to work out with your own head headspace and all that but um i would definitely just listen to your angel not anyone else don't listen to the purists and don't listen to people who say that you know oh just pray one night and you, it's over and you're done and you're good you know it, it's just listen to your angel and do whatever he says and not you know not worry like I did. I worried through the whole time, mostly about summoning the demons, and that was the easiest part. So it's probably not going to be what you expect. So yeah, that would be my only thing. Don't listen to anybody else and listen to your angel. That's it. <laughs> okay, well, I think that's a, a really good place to wrap up. So thank you so much for your time and your insight and for being open with your stories and your experience. Hopefully uh, listeners enjoyed it and hopefully it helps people understand uh, that this is something that is imminently approachable and uh, that it's very tenable to do it. And that there's so much that they can get out of doing it uh, that it's, it's definitely something that if people feel the call or they feel like it may be something on their horizon that they should explore it. Because I mean, in my view, and I think we've talked about this before, I think you feel the same way. It's like your people's angels are there. They're already waiting, already in contact, even mm -hmm. if people don't realize it because they want this to happen. And it's yeah. us that has to figure it out and get there. It's not so much that the angel has to be drawn in. The angel's already trying to draw us in from the beginning. Oh yeah. Definitely. Yeah, your angel wants to talk to you. Um, <laughs> all you have to do is stop and, and initiate the conversation, you know, pick up that phone. If I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> Seriously. Hey, well, again, Sarah, thank you so much. And uh, I, I really look forward to getting this out there for people to listen to. Well, me too. Thanks for talking with me. So that's it, our first episode. Thank you so much for being here to listen. I hope people had as much fun listening to Sarah describe her experience as I had talking with her. Now normally in this part of the podcast, I would talk about where else to find information on our guests and what else they have available. Sarah, however, is a magician doing the work and not trying to sell anyone anything. I think sometimes people push adherence to a special way of doing things because then you can buy their tools, classes, and books. Sarah isn't selling anything, she just wants to tell people her story and help more people realize that they can find their angel too. So I felt with that being the case, she was a great guest to start with. So hopefully this gave you some insights and you will 
maybe set out on your own Abermelon adventure now. As for show stuff, our music today was the prelude to Wagner's Possible, as performed at the Music Festival in Beirut. In the Company of Stars is available through your various favorite podcast outlets, so please subscribe to us there. You can also follow us and subscribe through my YouTube channel, Ararita418. You can follow my rather underused Twitter, at Ararita418, or follow us on the In the Company of Stars Facebook page. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you'll be joining us for more explorations of interesting occult topics.